Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Christian Mercado. Christian, would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Christian Mercado. I'm currently the CEO and founder of my digital marketing company, Digimax Marketing, uh, and also the digital marketing manager of Level 8, uh, which is a luggage company. So Christian, tell me about your background. So when I first started getting into digital marketing and e-commerce, it was back in December of 2016. I was just starting college, got into uh, an entrepreneur group called Secret Entourage, uh, if you ever heard of it. Um, Well, that's all right. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, it, it it was a group that was kind of just getting started. And I started hearing about people making like huge amount of money on, on with e-commerce. And I'm like, whoa, uh, how do you do that? Because <laughs> in high school, I was looking up YouTube videos of, you know, kids that were making millions or like teenagers or yeah. young adults, everyone who was uh, in business. And that really interested me. So by the time college came around, that uh, caught my eye, started looking more into it. And it wasn't until January of, you know, the next following year, a month later, um, that I created my first e-commerce store, which was a smartwatch store. I'm pretty sure I called it smartwatchluxury.com. Doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) It was like five years ago. But um, I I wanted the audience to think it, like, was a website where you could buy luxury watches. Um, I, I was into luxury items at the time. But I barely had any money as a freshman college student to be advertising it. So what I did was I would use Facebook Marketplace. And I, I think I even had like OfferUp too, uh, making listings. And that's really how I made my first sale in e-commerce. It was pretty exciting. Took a picture. <laughs> wow. um, yeah, but it wasn't... Uh, you know, it, it, it took me several years to achieve like a, a huge milestone because the money wasn't there. Um, I would try to partner up with people for, you know, leverage and funds or leverage and and the knowledge in the field. Uh, so it took like three years later until I hit my first store that hit the first store that hit 50,000 in, in like three weeks or a month. Um. So I, I would say, like, you always hear about people in the industry achieving maybe something like that within a year or several months. And I would say usually it's because they had someone offering them the money or someone partnered up. Uh, but a lot of people in the industry, like, if they are young and did that, they wouldn't tell you that. <laughs> I only know that because I've met them. <laughs> tell us about your companies. So Digimax Marketing is a performance-focused marketing agency that uh, focuses more on the Facebook ads aspect uh, for companies. Uh, Also using Google ads as well uh, for pay-per-click, but we like to focus on the whole uh, Facebook ads advertising aspect for e-commerce stores and brick and motors. Um, In terms of certain niches, because a lot of people like to talk about that, uh, I haven't picked a particular niche just yet, 
My idea is to just work with different industries, different companies to see which ones I like working with best. But, uh, you know, we, we had to talk about this before prior. And over the past month, I would say I put a lot of focus on my new job for level eight, uh, just to prove and, and show value and results for the company. Uh, so heavily focusing on that for the next few months until that's all settled. And then, um, going to start working a lot more in my, my own agency. Yeah. That's so you, you must be busy balancing, um, you know, different kind of side, side work. I know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, my family's been noticing the difference. I've been locked up in my room a lot more the past two months. Um, but yeah, you know, it's just how I work. Like I, I like working really hard. And then when I feel like I have the advantage or the leverage and a certain situation, then I'll probably start cooling off a bit. But until then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I like that. Yeah. So I'm sure you work like that as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I. Uh, it's that's a good way to frame it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I frame it that way, uh, but I agree with that. Um, I, I just haven't thought in those terms. Um, but yeah, it's it is about kind of you know. I don't want to say plateau, but there's a certain ramp up period with any kind of work where you need like a lot of, you have to like almost invest a lot of work in the beginning to set things in motion. And then there's usually a period where you can kind of like step back for a second and you've already built a lot of like the, the core processes. And that's when you can expand to a new, um, new area to focus on. Exactly. Yeah, that that was the idea that I had. Let's say you're doing marketing for uh, an e-commerce brand and they've tasked you with setting up, you know, the marketing for it. They're like, we have this product, we have a store, but we don't have any marketing. What what like technology would you use to, you know, launch their marketing? Uh, I think the first step is to understand where they're at, where they are at uh, in terms of brand awareness. The next step is understanding their customer base. Uh, I think it's important, like before you can even start the marketing material and stuff uh, and a strategy, you got to understand what their customers like or or where they're at. Uh, Some of the tools that I use besides like, you know, Facebook interests where you can be like, oh yeah, well, this company is in this interest. So I'll just target people (laughs) with this interest on Facebook. Um, you you kind of under you kind of have to understand their lingo as well. You, you got to fit in with the advertisements. You don't want to be like that guy that that company that just sells stuff uh, online. Uh, you kind of want to resonate with their audience. So that's the that's the second and first steps. Okay, I wanted to ask about Facebook interest before you continue. Can you explain more about that? I haven't actually heard about it. Yeah. So what I mean by that is basically just Facebook ads. Uh, Facebook is primarily just interest based. They do have behaviors in there as well, um, and you know demographic targeting. But I, oh, I'd so say, it's not a product. It's you're just talking about no, the no, yeah, it's okay. just Facebook ads. Yeah, got it. Uh, compared to like Google ads, where it's pay per click, and that's interest based. That could be interest based too, but they're more so on. I would call it query based. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I meant. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so. 
So Facebook allows you to target by interest primarily among other uh, kind of demographic fa- uh, or other factors. Yeah. Um, and then Google is more query based where you're um, capturing keywords and intent. Um, but it is not as generalized as to offer interest categories. Is that correct? Uh, I've seen Google when working with Google in the past, I, I've seen some interests uh, like Topics that people are interested in. Um, it's kind of weird, but they're always tracking you, right? <laughs> That's the whole thing with the privacy uh, data with privacy. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. We all exist in different um, like lists of essentially like either IPs or cookies by interest. So, yeah. and companies buy and sell those lists and they're anonymized, but they do, they are based on our actual behavior and then packaged and sold in groups with like intentions. Exactly. And, and, you know, Google is like the largest search engine in the world. So typically, if you're going to use that, it, it's it's a bit more expensive, I'm pretty sure, than than Facebook because, you know, they, they have so much data and so many people are competing on, on certain keywords and interests as well. In terms of understanding the consumers, there, there are softwares out there that you could see, uh, you know, what... What are people usually searching for? Um, besides Google Trends, there there is Google Trends too. They can see like trends and topics or searches. But let me try to find. I think it's called Spark Turo. Let me just make sure. Yeah, Spark Turo. You can see where audiences are uh, kind of hanging out on different websites or platforms, certain pages, magazines. So sparktoro.com, people could use that. Um, if we're going to do influencer marketing, I kind of tend to look at some analytics with Social Blade because uh, that could also go into an e-commerce store utilizing influencers where their consumers are or where their potential purchases might be. Um, so th- those are just a couple tools you could use too. Yeah. So you would never go off of intuition alone. When you're doing- uh, no, no, you you probably shouldn't. No, you you definitely have to do some research in the audience before you could speak to them through the brand. That makes a lot of sense. And so, when you're talking about speaking to them, how do you how do you how does that reflect in the copy? Um, um, using certain lingo or understanding certain pain points that they might have. If you don't understand their pain points and you know, it's going to be a little harder to <laughs> advertise to them, uh, you know, just things they're going through. So some of the things you could do as a marketer to understand that type of lingo or pain points is just searching for um, either lead gen pages or product pages. Uh, most likely with like click funnels, a lot of people like to use click funnels. Um, but if you could find one of those pages, you could see certain words that they're using. Uh, you could start to understand what an audience might go through because if that if that page is already making a lot of money, it, it's working for a reason. <laughs> it's not just the ads; it's the uh, it's the resonation as well. So, uh, if you could find those million dollar click funnel pages uh, of a certain audience, even magazines too, they they use certain words that resonate with their audience. Uh, you can get a better idea of how to speak to them. 
Interesting. So how do you measure people going through the funnel to uh, conversion? Um, personally, or when you're looking at like a competition? Oh, uh, uh, per personally. Okay. So when, when advertising, I usually use Facebook analytics. Um, there are other softwares out there where you could like, you know, get a way better data or overview of your, your data. But, uh, I just stick to Facebook ads. <laughs> they have a whole analytics thing there. It's like, how many add to carts did we get? How many purchases? How much am I spending for that? Um, you know, basic stuff, but it, it's still helpful. Yeah. You could also use Google analytics too. If you have that all set up, that helps as well. Uh, they have a lot more, more things in there that you could look at. Uh, but for me, when it comes to Facebook ads, like those metrics are good enough for me for now. Yeah. Well, so tell me about like the value that that increased money um, provides. Is it does it go directly into marketing? What and and if so, does that directly increase the number of people who are purchasing right away, or is that money going towards branding or something like that that takes a little bit of time to have an effect? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's a really good question because. There's, there's two ways to go about this. If you have less money, then you have to spend more time studying marketing so you could be more cost effective, uh, which is the route I had to take <laughs> at the time. And when you do have money, you have money to spend on mistakes. You could make more mistakes and learn from them. Uh, and with more mistakes are more lessons learned. So um you you make more progress faster with, with when you have the money for it um considering like you know it's less stress when you have to pay monthly fee of the store and then you have to spend a lot on ads so ads requires a lot of testing uh especially in the beginning like the first month or two uh let's say we're using facebook ads you have to test different interests or different audiences that you've collected with data um, yeah, and that takes money. So if you have a budget for it, it could be like a thousand dollars a month. Um, I'd say you're, you're good. You're good to, you know, safe enough to, to test different things and then see which audience or interest is getting the best ROAS for the money that you invested. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. It if that does. answers. It okay. does. Yeah. And it, it's making me think in my personal life. If I were to, for instance, run ads on Facebook to target people interested in marketing and advertising to listen to this podcast, I wonder how many additional listeners I could get that way. Probably yeah, I, I think that's very possible. Um, and, and I even encourage it too. <laughs> um, because I, I can't say you, you'll, you'll uh, find that winning interests, you know, within the first month. But if you have the money to, to just, you know, spread it out over time, understand which audiences are doing best in terms of ads. And I could see that working well. Um, and, and I can also see you just using engagement ads, which are way cheaper than, you know, if you're trying to generate a click or a purchase. Oh, can you, can you explain that? Yeah. So 
I, I would recommend probably using, do you have a website? I did. I, uh, I kind of do. In, in terms of the podcast, yeah. which is only on Spotify and other platforms, audio platforms, right? Um, there is a website for it, actually. Um, okay. That I could link to from Facebook. Okay. Then, yeah, in that case, you could, you could target your traffic uh, with conversions for website views. Um, but also if you have, I, I'm pretty sure you can probably make a video like this, like nothing too crazy, uh, like a basic video of the audio and use engagement ads, um, or video views. Mm -hmm. And from there you could increase your views for a cheaper cost. Uh, cause engagement is cheaper than an actual conversion to a website. Oh, um, exactly. Yeah. So I would make, but I would make sure if you're going to do that, that you're targeting, the countries that or interests that interest and the countries where your audience is or where you want your audience to be. A lot of businesses could use <laughs> they there's two ways to go about using engagement ads. There are businesses that use engagement ads to target the whole world and then you'll get like uh third world countries which are like way cheaper for engagement um engagement rate and then you, you kind of have like a poor quality audience that doesn't fit your agenda. But if you can invest more into, you know, let's say you're, you want your listeners to be in the U S then put, you know, just only focus on the U S regardless if other countries are cheaper. Cause uh, in, in the long run, you want your audience to be of quality. So people that you can influence, not just like follow and just like, um ads or something yeah you understand oh i know exactly what you mean i actually started a meme page with a friend of mine a few years ago for with with cats a meme page about cats and we got it we got it up to five thousand uh followers and would have a fair bit of engagement but what we found was that it was a majority the vast majority of followers were like essentially children in um, not outside of America, uh, in, in like Southeast Asia. Um, okay. so, so really not like a, like a strong monetizable base, but rather just like exactly who you would expect, uh, would follow a cat meme page basically. <laughs> um, and so well, I hear you when you're talking about that audience, because we tried to sell like cat toys and, um, other like tangent tangential products that this audience may be interested in but at the end of the day we weren't targeting like head of household that has a bunch of dispensable income we were, we were targeting people yeah. who probably did not have the dispensable income to buy random cat toys um exactly so that was that was actually a, an issue i ran into and, and i ended up just abandoning it like i like i still have the the like login but i don't do anything yeah. with it because i don't know how to develop it better okay yeah i mean that's something if you know that's still a focus that you want to how would you, work on. What would you uh, recommend? Yeah, uh yeah i would need some time to think about that yeah. <laughs> like that meme page i would have to look at it and kind of <laughs> just get an idea of what we could do with the audience or the audience we could target um I know a lot of Instagram pages like to work together as well. Maybe that's something you could consider. Um, like meme pages or interest pages. 
they work with other interest pages to have their followers follow each other, stuff like that. Um, but oh, smart. And if you were using ads for the cat meme page, I would just say, you know, just target better quality audiences if possible. Better quality audiences? Yeah. Yeah. Like what I mentioned before, with just using like, you know, the top tier countries and interests. Yeah. Makes sense. It's it's uh, yeah. kind of like the chicken or the egg. Um, do, you know, are you capitalizing on high quality demand that you already have? Or are you generating that demand by advertising in, um, you know, your target areas? Yeah, exactly. Like you could go the cheap way and it could look good. You Let's say you get like 50,000 followers, but like those followers probably don't speak English or have the money that you need them to have, you know, just a yeah. certain demographic that you need. Uh, which makes them pretty like unreliable as an audience. So I, I would invest in quality over quantity. So when you're optimizing for budgets, do you look at and try to lower the cost per click? Or are you looking at other metrics, you know, like return on ad spend that may come at a higher cost per click? Yeah, um, so... When working with an e-commerce store, they have either a product or service. I think if you're getting purchases already, we can kind of, <laughs> what, what I personally do, I don't know about other people, but I'll go look straight at the cost per purchase, not the other metrics. Because if you're already profiting, then that's a good sign. And then I'll work down to, okay, how can we improve the front end? If the back end is already suddenly working, right, um, which isn't always the case. In that case, you would have to look at, okay, how many, what's the CPM, which is a cost per 1,000 impressions. One of the first things I look at also is cost per click and the CTR, link click-through rate. So if it's below, I don't like going below 2% for the link click-through rate. And for cost per click on Facebook, I like keeping it below a dollar, but usually it's going to be maybe around a dollar twenty-five, dollar fifty. It's not uncommon, uh, but if you can improve those. Yeah, then you you could get a better ROI or ROAS. And certain ways that you can improve those are just understanding your customer pain points better, or using certain graphics on the ads, whether you're using video or photos. Um, how you've developed your audience over time. Those are some of the things that can attribute to a lower cost per click or uh, increasing your click-through rate. I hear what you're saying. So when when you're a profitable marketing organization and you're having a positive return on your ad spend, then you can start to look into how do we uh, increase the profitability. However, when you are not in a profitable state where, you know, you're, you're generating a multiplier on your ad spend, then you need to kind of rethink where you're spending your money um, to get to that profitable state. And exactly. Yeah. And, and so that's so what um, so what kind of changes would you be making if if you're an organization that currently does not have a positive return on ad spend? So just using some of my uh, my benchmarks, like, you know, keeping it below or keeping it above 2% link click-through rate, 
and trying to maintain the cost on the cost per click. Uh, if certain interests or audiences aren't, you know, fitting that metric, then I would have to keep looking for more audiences uh, and interests that are within my my standards. But also that could be, you know, just due to competition and uh, the auctions that everyone is competing for. So, for example, recently I noticed that I, I was I'm working with this one client and the CTR, it was like a, it was like around, yeah, the, the link click through rate was around like 5%. It went up to 10. The cost per click was kind of where I wanted it to be like a dollar a 20 or like 80 cents. But I noticed that the CPM cost per 1000 impressions was, was like way higher than I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and that almost didn't make sense to me because I'm like, what the heck? Like these metrics on the front end are looking pretty good, but the impressions I'm being charged way more to reach 1,000 people than I don't know. So one of the theories that I had was that it was probably due to the fact that there are so many companies or businesses competing for these interests that um, it. it Facebook is charging me more to reach 1,000 people, if that makes sense. So, so yeah, the, the yeah. competition drove it up? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, we, we could look into that and probably get better facts, but that's my theory, is that the CPM is at like $60 when it should be below 20 uh, because there, there's a lot of competition for that certain audience. So, I mean, one way to go about that is probably – Using a video ad that can resonate, you know, does good with metrics. Um, probably for engagement, optimizing for engagement or video views, and then using a lookalike audience for those video views. Uh, so the audience is more yours than Facebook's. You've developed that data, so now you're using your own data, the, you your own. Yeah. Can you explain about lookalike audiences and how a company can build their own list? A Facebook lookalike audience is, let's say you are targeting people who like dogs uh, and you've developed that data and the data that you've developed are people who've interacted with your website. So they visited your website, they went on certain pages, maybe they even purchased products if you were a pet store. And you would use lookalike audience when you no longer want to use that particular audience from Facebook. What you're now doing is you're, you're telling Facebook, everyone that uh, interacted with my website or certain pages, I want similar, very similar people to that audience. So it's not the same audience but it's a very similar audience that has similar behaviors and interests. Uh, and, and you could range that from one to 10%. Uh, it could be individual, like 1% audience of this or 2% lookalike audience of that. Or you could say one to 3% uh, lookalike of that audience. So what, what do you actually upload into Facebook? Is it like a list of IPs or like traffic data? I don't, I don't know like what exactly yeah. data you would 
would give them? So in terms of you know what I just said, that would be just website data. Uh, you know, using the Facebook pixel to develop a lookalike audience. But one of the best ways you could probably increase your conversions and, and lower your cost per purchase is using a lookalike audience of an email list. So uh, let's say you are a construction company and you've developed a list of a thousand people who use your service, you could use a lookalike audience of like 1% lookalike of the list that you have. So you're not targeting that list, but you're you're targeting Facebook's list of very similar people who uh, are utilizing Facebook. Okay, um, let me make sure I understand. So the first yeah. way is for you to put basically like a Google pixel or what we can call like a web tracking module a traffic tracking module basically like it's it sends data to facebook and it like it 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 basically it recognizes who is coming to your site and on facebook's back end they can develop an audience that mirrors that 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 looks really similar to that uh to the audience that's you know either organically or by your own efforts coming to or your own paid efforts coming to your website Exactly. And then yep. the, the second way is to give, and among maybe others, is to give the emails uh, that if you have a mailing list um, or or what, you know, I know for my LinkedIn profile, I have the emails of most of the people I'm connected with. So maybe I could use even my LinkedIn um, email addresses to build a lookalike audience. Exactly. Yeah, you could. Um, I, I know a lot of e-commerce stores like to use look like audiences of their purchases because you know <laughs> if these are people purchasing then what are other people similar you know to this behavior does facebook have uh and that can do well pretty good as well yeah so would you say that you know the cutting edge of lookalike and and trying to capture similar audiences is based on behavioral similarities is it based on demographic similarities where where are we heading? Are, and I and I'm imagining we're going towards behavioral, but I'm curious what you see. Um, in terms of look like audiences, it uses both the demographic, you know, um, the demographic and the interests and, and behaviors, or at least they try to. Uh, when we're where we're heading in the future, um, that's a tricky one because <laughs> I don't think they're gonna stop tracking. Uh, trying to get a better idea of how us as humans behave when consuming products online. But, you know, there there are certain things that are reducing that speed, like Facebook getting in trouble and, and politics and government for privacy and data. <laughs> things like that are slowing them down. But I don't think, you know, uh, yeah, them the, as a company the, slowing down. Right. The speed may have changed, but the direction has not. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's my personal opinion. I mean, did you know that when you're using Instagram, there's, you know, the the front-facing camera of your phone is looking at your reactions to certain posts? No, I don't use Instagram, yeah. but my sister is well, going to love that. <laughs> Facebook, hate Instagram, it. yeah. That's a thing. That's actually a thing. They, I, I'm pretty sure it's, like, patented. You, you can find that online. Wow. Um. Yeah, so I... You know, 
those are things that not a lot of people know, but it is being used to better understand our behaviors and our reactions to certain posts so they can continue showing us things we'd be interested in. That is, uh, to, to me, that is fascinating to almost everybody else. It's probably horrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, when I'm using the app, I'm like, oh, well, make sure not to, you know, laugh too hard at this pose or else it'll keep showing <laughs> me more posts like this. I like, I have to keep that in mind sometimes. <laughs> Cause that, you know, that, have you seen the social dilemma? Oh yeah. I really like Netflix? that. Yeah, yeah. It's like. I could see it. it. It's putting you in a bubble. I, I kind of like getting, uh, I, I don't like seeing the same things every time. I, I kind of want to see other things, but yeah, especially TikTok is probably the worst one with it. TikTok is, <laughs> it'll, you, you know, you watch one video and it starts showing you. You get sucked in. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely puts you in a, in a bubble there. Yeah. TikTok, uh, well, TikTok one, the, uh, social media wars, uh, or the 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 twenty, uh, we could say the twenty twenty one war, uh, for who gets the most um, traffic, and oh wow, and I think that the key differentiator of TikTok, which everybody else is sort of starting to catch up to, is a truly like personalized content feed that develops with you. So it yeah. will figure out based on your reaction to the content, whether or not you like that. And they will put people through different, it's almost like a nurture stream for, uh, yeah. for a business where they'll show you content that like moves you in a particular direction towards, um, I guess, in, to their end, it would be increased engagement with the platform okay. because that, that would drive more ad revenue. Um, exactly. So that's, that's their conversion. But for a regular business, that nurture would end in a conversion buying their product or service. So it's kind of, yeah. I think that's the key differentiator of TikTok is that content strategy. Yeah, I, my only assumption with TikTok and business is like, there's probably a lot younger crowd using TikTok than your target audience. Um, but that's something, you know, that's just me making an assumption. I haven't really looked completely into the data. Uh, I know yeah. a lot of companies are starting to, you know, use those influencers, uh, but I, I don't know the results for those or what it generates. Yeah. As Do you have an opinion on affiliate marketing or influencer marketing uh, as opposed to, because it, that's a very unique channel as opposed to other channels that you might have a lot more control over as an organization. What, how would you weigh influencer or affiliate marketing as opposed to other channels? Yeah, I, I wouldn't limit yourself as a business to the channels you could utilize. Uh, you know, Facebook is, and, and they're doing, I just got an email the other day now that they're reducing the number of options that you could target because, you know, the whole privacy thing, uh, they keep getting in trouble for it. So now they, they keep reducing your options. Um, so I wouldn't limit yourself to just Facebook to find an audience, nor Google, I, I would use influencers. I think influencers are good to use, uh, especially YouTube. Because as a business, if you want to make an Instagram post with an influencer, people will only see that for a couple days uh, with the algorithm that they have now. Um, but if you could use YouTube, for example, People, you know, YouTube is the world's like second largest search engine. 
<laughs> thanks to Google. So throughout the whole year, you'll have people looking at that that influencer showing your product. Doesn't have to all be in one day. You know, it's like an evergreen ad. And that's something you pay for once with the influencer and it'll generate views throughout the year or years. So that, yeah, I think, I think influencer marketing is, is pretty good to use uh, in terms of cost effectiveness, but also in terms of like consumer psychology, word of mouth is like one of the best forms of marketing. And if these people are looking up to these influencers and listening to them, uh, influencers are providing them with value then they're going to kind of assume that what they're suggesting to you is of value. You're following them for a reason. <laughs> exactly. Would you say that it's a relatively new channel to have influencers who can potentially like recommend products to their followers? I'm not sure if it's completely new. Like, you know, it kind of depends on how long we want to go back because you know, brands been using celebrities for a while now. But yeah, I guess you could say, you know, using platforms like Instagram and, and YouTube. Yeah, that, that's kind of like a new source. Interesting. Okay, I see what you're saying. So the model has been a thing for a long time. Yeah. I think the proliferation of micro-influencers has changed how, like, ha has basically increase the volume of opportunities to advertise through influencers like there's so many more opportunities and that yeah. is, that opens up um you know ideas for platforms that allow for influencers to sell that advertising space to come to brands and um that's like becoming a new kind of little economy in itself for yeah. influencers I, yeah, I, I agree with that, actually. I didn't even, <laughs> compared to, like, you know, only using celebrities in the past. Uh, yeah, now, I, I mean, yeah, for sure. They're definitely like using microcultures, and, yeah, it's good for good for businesses, small and large. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm thinking. So, like, I th the value that that is provided through this network of micro-influencers, I think, is much better than the value that is provided through traditional or even like online, you know, performance marketing tactics, you know, display. And, um, you know, I think that attribution for marketing has not been fully uh, solved yet. There's still some areas where kind of blind spots for attribution. Yeah. And um, interestingly enough, Neuralink <laughs> would get to the answer <laughs> for, far, far quicker oh, than, than any of us ever could. Uh, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, like the <laughs> how Neuralink would be involved in all this. <laughs> but th it's true. Like the the true attribution has to be measured at the decision makers level. Like for me, mm -hmm. what makes me think about the brand in a positive way and want to purchase it? And like, what was that straw that broke the camel's back? Was it seeing the influencer? Maybe I didn't type in their code, but they were the one who 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 really you know made me feel like this is the product for me. So, you know, that influencer does deserve the credit, even if the person didn't put in their code. The code is more if you just care about the person, right? That's what the affiliate code is, is like, if you care to give that person a little cut, then then you click it. But it's not necessarily saying that they did not influence you to uh, click it if, if you don't use their code. And that's the blind yeah. spot. Yeah, there's some metrics that can't be tracked, like quantifiably. 
Yeah. What What else would you say uh, are some blind spots in attribution? When it comes to like brand development, I, I would say there's a lot of blind spots with that. Because um, like you mentioned, what broke the camel's back? What made you purchase? I would say consumers today would, they're not just going to purchase because it's a product. They want to purchase because the brand as well. They want to be able to resonate with the brand. What do they stand for? And how do you identify with that brand? Uh, if there's a community that the brand created, like, you know, how do you identify with that community? And does it support your, the direction you probably want to go in life or interests? Um, like, for example, some companies might give a portion of their, their profits to a charity. When it comes to building that brand and having people you know, start purchasing your product for your brand. Um, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's some things data can't track, like uh, just how someone feels or. Right. Um, yeah, I, I can't even explain that. Like it, it, you said it better than me, like what broke the strap, the camel's back and all these different factors. Yeah. Those are factors that can't be tracked. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's this, kind of widespread it's almost taboo it's not taboo but i think everybody agrees that it that there's some gaps in attribution and so but the problem is that if you use your gut um it's not going to get you as far as if you use the data and the data doesn't you mm -hmm. know the data has those blind spots so it's it's almost like it's really difficult to fix if you're data focused and it requires oh, yeah. a traditional perspective, um, a kind of of yep. marketing and in general to put the data into context. Like, you know, here's what the data is telling us, but it could only measure this, this, and this. So, you know, we have to imagine yeah. that there's other effects as well. Exactly. You, you would have to be understanding of, you know, just different factors that probably go into a certain performance metrics. Um, and, and, in terms of like audiences and stuff like that, there was something you said that brought this up. I had a friend one time advertising like fishing poles or something, and he assumed that it would be a certain audience and it, it just wasn't working out with Facebook ads. But uh, he continued to test different audiences with Facebook ads. And one of them not even being what he thought, you know, would be the audience that would buy, started purchasing these you know, the, these items are in a store for a completely different reason than what he assumed it to work for. <laughs> wow. So then he started targeting, you know, because he saw the data started targeting all those people and he started making, uh, having a store become successful. So it's just funny, like you can assume things, but data speaks louder than your assumptions. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, it does. It works both ways. So if you use yeah. your gut, you can be wrong and if you, too much. And if you use data too much, you can be wrong as well. But, um, you know, there has to be a balance. That's And I, I hear that a lot from executives um, talking about the, um, the need to kind of step away from a pure analytics mindset when you're leading because sometimes you need to follow your gut and sometimes that does not agree with the data. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there has to be a balance. Maybe we can understand people to a certain level better than a computer. So, you know, assumptions would have to be made, but then the data could help a certain direction. 
of where we are. You know, we could pinpoint a spot and then use data to kind of help us go in a certain direction to our to you know reach a goal. Okay, final final question. What is the difference between selling more impulsive uh, versus more valuable products? Uh, valuable in terms of their price? Yeah. Like their, their more valued price? Okay. Yeah, a little higher price, more, more value. Impulsive is kind of like the $5, you know, impulse buy. Um, yeah, so, $20 so, range. Right, yeah, something in the $20 range versus something, you know, a little bit higher, maybe the $100 range. Um, what What's the difference in e-com marketing between those two products? How do you spend differently? Do you do more upper funnel versus lower funnel for one of the two? How do you, how would you think about, you know, the differences in marketing between those two categories? Yeah, um, I think what's important is the level of trust that you can develop with the audience. Um, if you don't have certain trust factors like social proof or warranties, guarantees, um, maybe how the website looks, if it's, <laughs> if it doesn't look that great, but you're selling like a $500 product that's like, I mean, that's not completely true either. You can have a, a website that looks basic and, and still generate a lot of sales, but, um, you know, that, that requires a certain trust factor. Uh, then, you know, for the impulse buys, um, it, it doesn't require much trust to spend <laughs> $20 on a product that might seem more valuable than $20. But also people could butcher that too. Um, I, I came across the ad, for example, the other day on TikTok. And it was for a nightstand, a, a bed nightstand that uh, looked really, really nice. And me being in the e-commerce field and drop shipping, I was like, yeah, there's no way this is 50 bucks. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know what's going on here, but you're probably not actually delivering these products to consumers. So that they didn't have my trust with that, even at $50. So uh, product can't look too expensive regardless of the price, if you're going to try an impulses buy, you know? Interesting. I had a similar experience with a beanbag. You know, I've wanted a beanbag okay. for many years. And every beanbag I ever <laughs> see is like 150 to $200 to get one of those big ones. And I want yeah. one that's that size for like 50 ish dollars right like i don't want to pay for, i don't want to pay three times no. uh like it, exactly you know i i just have this like natural anchor that's like under a hundred dollars for like a beanbag and i don't know why but i just and so i got this facebook ad for a beanbag for eighty dollars and it was this big you know one of those big beanbags exactly what i've wanted it was right around the price point that I was hoping for, like half of what I was expecting. So I was like, done. I'm going to order it. Beanbag never came. <laughs> never came. Oh, no. Never came. Yeah. So I, I think I got the money back, but it's still like it was too good to be true. And it was exactly what you were saying, where it's like, there's no way that this actually costs the price that they're putting on. So I should have used that as a red yeah. flag. Um, yeah, I mean, I... It's hard too because they'll get you. They'll try to get you a good deals for something that looks really nice. But 
there are there are different types of purchasers too. There are those that do a lot of research before buying, and then there are those that are more impulsive, and then you know some in between that. Uh, there's different types of purchases too that a company would have to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely understand that because I, I really wanted that nightstand. <laughs> had like a fridge inside and everything. And it was like 50 bucks. I'm like, no. I looked on like Amazon, couldn't find it. I'm like, where are these people drop shipping this item from? I, look, I even looked on AliExpress. I'm like, no, I don't know what website you guys are using, but this is hard to find even for me. Um, wow. <laughs> and then I saw it somewhere. I saw it somewhere. I was like, I think four hundred dollars. It was a lot, and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> no there's no way. This is fifty bucks. And I looked into the comments, and everyone's like, "This is a scam. This is like three hundred dollars somewhere else." Blah blah blah. So um, that's what I that's what I mean by like you know, if something looks really nice in terms of value and price, and a lot of factors like trust come to play with that. Um, pe- people would do research if they have to spend more that's why sometimes you, you would have uh, if, a, if a product is like a thousand dollars you'd have to get on like a call with them or something or it's recommended okay so the best kind of the best way to go is to have a reasonably priced product that's like under like fifty dollars and has relatively good um like copy behind it and you know would, th- would you say that's like the most efficient uh drop shipping or e-commerce kind of product to market oh <laughs> that's a good question man i <laughs> i'm only laughing because all my years in drop shipping and e-commerce i've seen outliers so it, it kind of just depends on how you're building your brand and your, your audience. I, I've, I've met someone that done like a million dollars in sales selling $10 products, which I thought didn't work because the profit margins were just too little, but he made it work. Uh, and you know, there could be certain systems involved in that as well, like email marketing and upselling products. But to my understanding, he likes selling on the more impulsive range. Uh, and then I've met people that sell like couches online and they make like 200 K a month and, <laughs> you know, they're like a couple hundred dollars on the store. So it, yeah. is, it really depends on how you build the brand, I guess. Who do you follow on social media? Uh, I'm kind of bad with names sometimes. Let me check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anybody that you, know, you might want to share with people to learn from. Of course. Um, you know, when when I first started e-commerce, there was someone named Dan Da Silva. He lived a couple towns away from me. I found him to be really inspirational because, uh, you know, just kind of related to his story. Um, young guy, wanted to make money, <laughs> found e-commerce. Uh, and then next thing you know, a couple of years later, he's like in a white Lamborghini and a white G-Wagon and living his best life. <laughs> You know, so yeah. he started making all these YouTube videos about uh, e-commerce and, and business and psychology and uh, really wanted to learn a lot from him. Um, eventually, after years, I, I ended up getting his number and stuff like that. I, I would talk to him everywhere on like Twitter, YouTube, 
Instagram. I was all over because I wanted to <laughs> connect with him or like take him out to Wendy's or something and learn more from him. Um, but yeah, we, we never worked on a business together, but that that's one person that inspired me. I would say Jeremy Haynes for digital marketing agencies. Jeremy Haynes is uh, pretty knowledgeable in the field. He makes huge amount of money uh, in marketing, works with celebrities as well. Um, who else? There, there's a lot of people that I follow on Instagram. I just sometimes cr- come across them, but I would say that those are my top two. Nice. Yes. <laughs> How about you? Um, to learn about e-com, you know, I don't have anybody. I honestly, this is, this podcast is like the best way that I learn about marketing and analytics and business. And the most valuable content I get is from audiobooks. Recently, um, I finished uh, The 48 Laws of Power, which is an incredible book. It's quite dense, but it teaches like, have you heard of it? Yeah, I got like halfway through that book. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. 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 I love the stories and it's like the examples they use. Yeah. That's pretty cool stuff. Exactly. That's what it's all about is like historical stories and, you know, it's all about winning and, and how to, you know, how to really like live a successful life and that, you know, it's just good to at least have that, um, that perspective, you know, it's not like any book should really like be how you think but i think it's it's good to think Mm -hmm. about at least once especially if you are not like a um a shark then you should then you should read it uh and kind of grow some shark teeth through through reading it (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) i I totally agree with you i i don't think any book would be should be taken like you know to the t but it 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 sets as like a guidance you know it's a it's a guidance it's something to keep in mind for future occasions where you see a similar situation you're like okay well the book said this so you know just depending on the situation yeah exactly <laughs> what, what would be the recommended way to go about yeah yeah that's a pretty good book um i i also want to mention too with, with influencers because you're i think you're absolutely right like getting more value from audiobooks and reading books with different perspectives uh so something i forgot to mention before when you asked me who do i pay attention to the reason why I barely know much people's names is because <laughs> after a while I stopped paying attention to them. Um, some, you know, just the top two that resonate with me because they made the most impact was Dan DeSilva and Jeremy Haynes. But there are so many people out there uh, saying so many different things. You could kind of get analysis paralysis. Um, I remember during my first few years in e-commerce and in college, I was like, oh my God, the amount of time I spent on YouTube is learning from different people and uh, learning about so many different aspects that I was kind of like, okay, I, uh, <laughs> not sure what to do. Cause there's this strategy, that strategy, this strategy, this guy says this, this guy don't say that. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, so after a while I kind of just stopped listening to these type of people, gurus on YouTube and Instagram and just started learning from books and doing my own thing and learning from my own experiences and, uh, it's been it's been nice (laughs) that's great and this reminds me of a discussion i had last night with a friend of mine who had purchased uh many courses for e-commerce 
and drop shipping yeah. over the years and pay spent mm. hundreds if not thousands of dollars on this content and my friend was asking him should i pay for the content too and i interjected i was like well of course not because we have you know we we, we now have all those resources so you know we're we'll yeah. just run it past a friend who had been trained and in, in mm-hmm. all of that you know expensive content and that's all of the guidance we kind of need from that area and the rest should be us really innovating and thinking in new ways about e-commerce and dropshipping instead of kind of following whatever the quote-unquote secret is yeah i would uh I, I would agree with that i used to think for the longest time oh my god it hurts <laughs> for the longest time that there was a secret sauce to e-commerce that there was you know, there was something I was doing wrong. Um, and I think just over time, it just takes some time to develop that understanding of how audiences work and how you have to build an audience. Uh, but when it comes to drive shipping, so many people are like, yeah, I put this ad out and I got $50 back. And, you know, then people follow that model and they're not making a quality brand. They're just focusing more on the, the money that could, you know, be generated, which you know, 90% of the time you don't generate that money <laughs> right? because you're not building a brand. You're just focusing on throwing out ads and trying to make money. And it doesn't work like that for the most part. Yeah, that's a good point that like, because of how Google has structured their ad bidding in the sense that the, the paid results come before the organic, that's why yeah. consumers are clicking on those ads and why we are able to attribute uh, everything to marketing. But in reality, those ads are slightly more convenient for the customer as well. So it's not just the ad that's like changing their trajectory. It's also the consumer's desire for a streamlined experience that is driving them to click on that ad. And so that conflation gives more value or more attribution to marketing in in that example paid search than maybe it should have thank you christian this has been a really awesome conversation and i think people really appreciate hearing the inside of you know e-commerce and um drop shipping and marketing and i really appreciate you you know talking honestly and openly about all these topics i think it was really interesting of course and thank you for having me on uh i really enjoyed talking with you and i think we we both learned a lot Uh, in this podcast. uh, It's been a very interesting conversation. I'm glad. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.